Good evening. Welcome to Talk Gnosis After Dark. Tonight we're being joined by Deacon John DiGiulio as we continue our discussion on narcissism and how that may relate to narcissism. This topic was brought to us by Bishop Laney. Hello, Bishop Laney. How are you? Hello, Bishop Ken. And hello, Father Tony. I know you're out there someplace. I'm right over here. <laughs> and of course, our lovely Deacon John. So, Good evening, everyone. So we had a really nice talk during the video show, I think, about, uh, you know, how some people can easily uh, think that practices, spiritual practices, including those practiced in Buddhism as well as in Gnosticism, might lead one to self-absorption and even to, to narcissism, a, a grandiose perception of oneself. Uh, we also talked about ways that people on the path can help to avoid that pitfall or, can it le or, or outgrow it over time. So now we are here for a more extended chat, and I know that our dear father Tony often has some questions that he's written down. Tony, do you have anything for us? Yes. The, you, <laughs> you mentioned that you know, the Christianity, and, or uh, Gnosticism rather, and Buddhism get lumped into this kind of self-absorbed, navel-gazing kind of thing, but Christianity has some of the same problems in monasticism. You you often hear, in fact, I've struggled a lot over the years with, you know, what is the role of monasticism in an esoteric religion? Is there, you know, what's the point of secluding yourself away from the world and, um, you know, praying all day and, and not actually giving back or doing anything? But, but I think you guys covered that during the video part pretty well, that there is kind of a, you know, there's, there is benefit to it other than just personal benefit. And, you know, when you're sitting in the, in your cell meditating, right, you're not out there having road rage and flipping people off on the highway, you know, and that's good, right? <laughs> yeah, that might be overly simplistic. I think, I think Deacon John, I think that was your point. Do, do you want to expand on that? I was going to say, but it's still a very good point is, you know, this whole idea of I'll take it back to when I was a kid. You know, people would say, you know, idle hands are the play, playground of the devil. Well, it's the same thing with idle lives. You know, do you, you know, how, how, what am I trying to say here? You know, if you want a classic example of people who really look like they're being self-absorbed, you know, look at somebody who really is just, you know, out there doing all of these things, you know, road rage, living for the moment, you know, all of this, this amazing stuff. They're the first ones that get upset when something doesn't go their way. <laughs> so I think in so many ways, what we have to remember is that with Gnosticism, with Buddhism, we tell people it's not a one size fits all. You've mm -hmm. got to find your path. You have to find what works for you. And for some people, that may very well mean that you have to cloister yourself away somewhere and sit in prayer. It's mm -hmm. not that we're making a judgment that this isn't a good thing. But for others, you can very well learn to be in the moment as you're performing service. You know, the Buddhists will tell you, once you learn to perform Zen uh, meditation on your cushion, once you learn mindfulness there, well, all of a sudden you can have mindfulness while you're doing the dishes, while you're driving the kids to school, you know, whatever it may be. So again, it's not a matter of one practice being better than the other. It's understanding why for some people it can work one way and for others, something completely different. Mm-hmm. We had a, um, we had a comment in, in our, uh, in our, our live show here from one of our Patreon supporters, a, um, Jonathan Stewart. Uh, mm. yeah, I think I'm saying that right. He says, hi, longtime fan here with a question. Uh, Gnosticism seems so intellectual, all these Greek terms and complicated texts. Therefore it can't be a religion for everyone, right? Oh boy! <laughs> Good job, Jonathan. <laughs> I'll be honest. This is something that I myself struggle with, mm -hmm. and I'm learning on my own that it really isn't necessarily an intellectual pursuit. For some people, again, you know, to each their own, it really is. Some people derive great meaning by really digging into some of these more esoteric scriptures and books and, you know, going that path. But there are so many others out there like myself that 
when you first start doing this, you, you yourself look at your, you know, it's like a competition. Somebody writes something amazing and you think, oh my goodness, I'll never aspire to that. You know, I'll never be able to do that. So this isn't for me. And then two weeks later, that same person's telling you, boy, I wish I had your ability to simply go into a soup kitchen and do something so meaningful, you know, mm -hmm. interact with so many people. So again, it's a, it depends on what you're looking for in it. If you're constantly comparing yourself to the accomplishments of others, then you don't have time to do what you need to do for yourself. Mm -hmm. I'd like to take a stab at the Greek terms and complicated texts that he refers to. I think that there, there is quite a bit of that, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the... The Gnostic scriptures, so-called, haven't had a chance to to be studied and debated and talked about in, uh, over centuries like the mm -hmm. canonical, quote-unquote, scriptures have. Mm -hmm. So what ends up happening is, at least the way I see it, is, it the, you have um, a body of scriptures, the, the canonical Christian and, and Jewish texts, that have been talked to death for 2000 or more years in the case of the you know the Jewish scriptures a lot longer than that that people have formed opinions about and there have been preachings about and and books written about the books that have been written about the books mm -hmm. and the gnostic scriptures haven't had that that treatment they haven't had that time to kind of uh, I don't know if gestate is the right word, but they haven't had had time to kind of become those things that people talk about for, for generations and generations because we haven't had them. We've only had them since 1945 for the most part. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, all of these Greek terms are complicated and all of these texts are weird and strange, but go back and read you know, go back and read uh, some of the Christian scriptures with fresh eyes, and you'll find the same weirdness. You know, you'll find you'll find Paul talking about stuff, and you'll and, and it's just like, what? What's happening right now? But because you have that background of, oh, I know what Paul says, so therefore I I can kind of gloss over the weirdness and 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 have an understanding of what it is. The that makes it difficult, I, and I'm, I'll say flat out, it is difficult to get into Gnosticism, mm -hmm. um, mostly for that reason that, the, that these texts are a bit unapproachable. Uh, and you can do Gnosticism without looking at the source texts, absolutely, um, and people do. And you can have Gnosis without looking at the source text. I want to make sure that we're mm -hmm. clear that those things are, are different. Gnosis is the focus of Gnosticism, but there is certainly a lot of people who have experienced Gnosis outside of a Gnostic quote-unquote religion. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so having these texts that are weird and strange and full of Greek words and cosmologies where all the names of the beings are actually just nouns that you would talk about in your daily life and you know you have to figure out are they talking about time periods are they talking about entities are they talking about places are they all three at once have we not had those uh generations of ecumenical councils to debate whether you know god was human and and uh, divine at the same time or <laughs> and all that stuff um and i don't think gnosticism is prone to that kind of thing i think that people who approach gnosticism have a different uh have a different take on the kind of literalism i think that happened um with with early christianity so uh, all of that being said, uh, my roundabout way of saying, yeah, absolutely, this is a this is a complicated thing to get involved with, but I don't think it has to be. I, I right. think that if you if you're willing to engage with a practice and you're willing to do it kind of in the spirit of Gnosticism, which is difficult to explain, but <laughs> you know, it, uh, you know, it's it's best to practice with with a teacher, right? As we've said before. Mm -hmm. So if you can have somebody who can kind of explain that feeling to you, because it really is a feeling more mm -hmm. than an intellectual exercise, um, then yeah, absolutely, you don't have to get into the complicated Greek terms, and you don't have to, you know, understand every single little nuance of the, you know, the gospel of the Egyptians or whatever it happens to be. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so the, this kind of, you know, it, it dips back into our conversation about Gnostic elitism. And I, I do think that 
um, Gnosticism does tend to thrive, and we've had this conversation. I'm not sure yeah. you, you agree with me, but I'm not, I think that Gnosticism does tend to thrive in a, in the richer communities, you know, in places where people have time to think about philosophy. Um, but that's not necessary to have Gnosticism, in my opinion. Okay. <laughs> Did somebody just <laughs> step on a duck? Yeah, I just like tooted. No, I, I think you guys are hearing my phone on vibrate. Uh -huh. so. Yeah, your phone, right? Your phone. Yeah. Okay. Well, you guys can see it. Okay, it's my phone. You and know, those father. Of you who are I, that, supporters that phone, can see it. It doesn't look like too. a phone much to me. You know, um, <laughs> I just a got a new notification. Seeing, I mean, unfortunately, yeah. Even I when thought I was vibrate, in a Marx Brothers get there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I wouldn't want to belong to any religion that would have me as a member. You know, I, I started yeah, started um, thinking about this a little bit. Uh, there was a re recent study that came out, and I am not commenting on the validity of the study. There's always a new study coming out. Mm -hmm. But that was saying that uh, that there's a connection between the way that parents praise their children and an increase in narcissism and entitled attitudes and that sort of thing. And I, I get to thinking about some of the wisest parenting that I've ever seen. It's the parent who, instead of saying to the child, you're a good boy or a bad boy or a good or a smart girl or, you know, or a brave girl or, or you know, or you're, you're, you're being very selfish. Instead of telling the child what they are, they actually get the child to stop. And then they ask the child, how does this make you feel right now? And I think that this is very wise parenting because whether the child has done something good or bad, it kind of gets the child to just stop with the mechanical thinking and just, you know, being, the, 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 being a kid. And the kid can actually stop and reflect and say, how does this make me feel? How do I feel about myself right now? And I think that that's... I think that can be incredibly important in a child's development because uh, the, the, the child begins to understand the association between how we affect others, our own behavior, and our internal state. But I have to wonder if maybe that's not a bad, uh, a bad approach for, for adults as well is instead of looking for an external validation, I think that sometimes working externally is important, but in, instead of just stopping and saying, okay, I just did this, or I handled this situation this way, or I just lost my temper unnecessarily, how do I feel right now? And I think that that kind of paying attention to yourself and self-knowledge um, is something that it, while you are working on yourself, it is not going to make a person into a narcissist, but it's also not going to make a person take on, if you are being honest with yourself, you're not necessarily going to take on a false understanding of oneself, which can lead to self-loathing, and that's bad as well. Yeah, I think we've talked about a number of times around the Gurdjieff work and, and other things that um, can't help myself. No, I know, uh, <laughs> but you know the idea of, of many eyes, right? And yeah. you have you know you have all of these distractions and things, and and you you don't actually drive your mind in most cases. Most of the yeah. time, your mind is yeah. is reacting to stimuli and regurgitating things that patterns that it developed in order to cope with similar situations. I mean, that, right. that's what, that's what the human brain does. Absolutely. It creates patterns and re and, you know, reuses them that it's, we're, we're evolved very specifically to do that. And it works pretty well for us in our day-to-day -day life, except for spiritual stuff. I mean, it's very much not conducive to meditation or to any of the other kind of spiritual practice things that we've been talking about on this show for years. Um, that I think that's a very, so my, the point that I kind of noted down here that I'll throw in at this point is I don't think that you can start a spiritual practice without having that kind of ego and that kind of narcissism because Without that impetus to say, I want to be better than I am, or mm -hmm. I want to be better than my neighbor, or whatever the, the impulse is that starts that conversation in your, well, 
that that inner monologue that says, I want to be a spiritual person and I want to meditate and I want to do the Jesus prayer. I want to do this. I want to do that. I think that starts from a place of ego. I, I think, yeah. I, you know, I think it has to. I don't think that, mm-hmm. I, I just don't think that people work that way that, uh, you know, are just from from the get-go are altruistic and uh, have this spiritual impulse. I think that, you know, you have to have that in order to start. Um, how, how long do you hold on to that? Certainly, though, narcissistic, though, you know. Well, let me just throw that up because, I, I don't know, I, I yes, I will agree with you, Father Tony, that, yeah, there's got to be a certain amount of ego, but I don't know if that's, I wouldn't say that's narcissistic to... Yeah, yeah, I guess to, it depends on where you, you know, that just, line. To say, you know, okay, I want to be better. Well, you know, I think it's human nature in many ways to want to be better in whatever, whether it's better in playing baseball or soccer, whether it's to do better in school or in a specific subject. Uh, You know, I'm not doing good at math this year. I want to do better at math. But my question is, why do you want to get better at those things? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, take a a further step back. You you want to get good at baseball so you can, I don't know, you know, look attractive to the opposite sex or something like that, or the same sex or whatever, you know, to be a, I don't know. I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the, the, the reason behind the reason. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, and I think that's a very good, uh, you know, thing that one has to look at, you know, what is that reason be, you know, is it purely, you know, Arrogance is a, a point of you know uh, to give you a kind of bragging rights or mm-hmm. you know what are, what is the reason behind the reason and sometimes you know I think maybe the reason behind the reason may not be very good it may be arrogance maybe mm-hmm. you know hey I want to be the best at this I want to be able yeah I'm the damn best you know guitar player out there or I'm the best you know. Um, you know, uh, runner of the marathon at my at my school, or whatever the case is. But again, going back to what we were talking about in the video show, I think if one is persistent in any practice, so let's take the uh, you know things I just mentioned. You know, uh, being a musician, a guitar player, or, or maybe being a marathon runner. I think eventually that that ego part, maybe even the reason behind the reason, is no longer important any longer. Mm-hmm. I think that can be true. I'm not sure it's true in every case. If and I can I throw something at, sorry, go you, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. Dick. I was just going to say too. And we have to remember that there's a difference between arrogance and narcissism. Mm-hmm. So even there, we have to be careful that we're not taking it to this point where it really is a self-absorption, as much as it is ego in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. One one thing that I would point out, and, and this is interesting conversation. Um, I think that Father Tony has hit on something that's very important. I'm going to take this to a step further. Well, it's bound to happen eventually. Um, <laughs> um, that um, to well, we're all clergy here. Um, that when I was in seminary, I took a class in it's kind of an advanced pastoral psychology class, and we all had to take a a, a psychological test that looked at personality disorders. And one of the things that we noticed is virtually everybody in the class scored high on the narcissism scale. And we were told flat out by our instructor, who was a man of great accomplishment, that this is typical for clergy. And as he pointed out, if you're going to stand up and say that you've been called by God to the ministry, well, well you must have some, you know, some good feelings about yourself there. Um, now, of course, people who now there are, of course, and we know this is we know this to be a fact that there are people who actually have a severe case of narcissism to the point where they have an actual personality disorder. Um, nobody in the class had a personality disorder, but you have narcissistic personality disorder where they are uh, very difficult people to work with and they can have a very negative impact on people's lives. The rest of us, I think, or, or, we, or those of us who were really working on ourselves eventually got the shit kicked out of us by ministry and we all know what that's like. And uh, that'll get your ego down to size pretty damn quick. But I, I do think that, um, to, to Father Tony's point here, that yes, I mean, there, there is for, for many people on this path, if, if, even if you're not called to the ministry, even if you don't have a vocation to holy orders, um, the idea that 
there is something more and I think I can try to achieve it or that mm-hmm. I think I deserve to achieve it, there is going to be something there that um, is going to be, at the very least, you're acting in your own self-interest and you have a strong sense of uh, expectation for yourself. Uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll give you a great example of that. And I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever talked about this in public before, but uh, the the whole reason why I started the Gnostic Wisdom Network and the Gnostic NYC Network before it was because I wanted to make sure that when somebody was searching for Gnosticism, they found the stuff that I was talking about first. You know what I mean? And I, you know, I've done an okay job with that, I think. that uh, You have. You know, we we have a lot of people, and I, I, I think I'm justifiably proud about what we've done here. <laughs> you uh, should be. You should be. But, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are using the word Gnosticism and who are also pretty darn good at the internet, right? Yes. And I won't name mm-hmm. any names, but it used to be in the early 2000s when you Googled Gnosticism, you got a South American sex magic cult, you know? And that was, <laughs> that was pretty much what was out there on the internet in, in the early 2000s. Um, I don't know how I missed them. <laughs> it's not as exciting as you might think. <laughs> you haven't, Deacon John, actually, but I'll tell you about that yeah, later. Yeah. But uh, so anyway, so I said, you know, I have my view of Gnosticism, and I I understand that my view of Gnosticism is not the only view of Gnosticism, but that uh, I have a specific view of what I think that Gnosticism includes, and I don't see that being represented. And so I think that I was pretty darn narcissistic to <laughs> to say, well, I'm going to take that over, and I'm going to become that on the internet, at least for the English-speaking world. And uh, and. I can't say I've necessarily gotten past that, <laughs> and I don't know if I've necessarily gotten to the point where, you know, the the emptying of ego and the cultivation of compassion have uh, <laughs> have yeah. given way to. Um, well, that's know. a good point, Father Tony. But I would ask, you know, having read and obviously, you know, known you for a while. My question still becomes: Then, what was your motivation for doing that? Was it really because? you wanted to be the one or was it because you thought you had something to say that people needed to hear or deserve to hear that people well, needed sure, or deserve yeah. to have more than one definition so you know i'm always careful of labeling something as narcissistic yeah i guess you're right uh <laughs> you know i don't want to <laughs> i don't want to be too self-deprecating of course but well great i absolve you of your self-deprecation <laughs> thank you thank you um yeah can absolutely. you do that no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking it anyway. <laughs> no, it's true though. You know, I, I I wouldn't have done it if I didn't think it was important. I, I you know, if it if it wasn't something that I thought people would benefit from, you know, obviously I I have not become rich doing this. <laughs> I have not made any money doing this. In fact, I've spent an awful lot of money to do this. So it's it's uh you know, it, it, it is it, it is something to be proud of in a way, but it's also something to be humbled by, I think. And, yeah. and that, that's the, the part I haven't quite gotten to, but I'll, I'm working on it. You know, it, it's, it's the thing you, you point about the humbling thing is, um, Father, it's, it's when it's, you know, doing this show and, and having done this show for quite a while now, actually. Um, it is, it's interesting that when somebody responds to the show, gives a comment, talks about what goes on here – there is a sense of, of I feel like I'm being driven to my knees because it's 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 a sense of wow um, I'm doing this for my own ego gratification I fully admit to that but I know that it impacts other people and I guess I can just sit there and if I can pay attention to that to, to that knowledge that it's impacting somebody else there can be a shift in me to understand that. There's a lot more than than Laney's ego here, and it's not more than just my pontificating, and that this has an impact. I think it's that I think it's that openness. Learn if you can learn to practice that kind of openness to what other people are saying. I think that can that that can make a make a huge difference in your practice. So thank you for that, Father. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, <clears throat> 
One one thing that I um I found that I ran into a lot when I was first starting to learn about Gnosticism was uh, solipsism, and it, I think it's kind of related. Um, for for those of you who think I'm using strange Greek words again, uh, <laughs> solipsism is kind of a philosophical idea that you can't prove that anything outside of your own mind ex- actually exists. Um, in in the short term, you know, in the, or to quickly explain it, so your your brain processes uh, sensory information from your sense organs and translates that into electrical impulses, and so you're you're not actually seeing the world; you're experiencing the electrical impulses that have been collected by the photons hitting the back of your retina, you know, or however that happens to work. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so other than so the only thing that you can actually prove to exist according to solipsism is your own mind your own thought process. So I think when you're when you think deeply about these things you run into that I, I at least I did I don't know maybe some other people did and I find that to be one of the the more narcissistic things that happened to me in the course of my spiritual development was to try and understand that and to I guess overcome it is uh, the word, but maybe it's not exactly what I mean. Um, because I don't think that's, you know, I, obviously I can't prove that anything exists beyond my own mind, but I don't think that that's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I can tell you that it's it's untrue because there's plenty going on in my mind. <laughs> Unless that's my mind creating your I mind. I was just going to say, whereas I guarantee I'm just a figment of your imagination. <laughs> yeah. A mighty awesome one at that. You've got a big imagination, but a I know. Alas. This maybe is going to be a weird all, podcast when, with all these Maybe we're puzzles. all just in Mar Thomas's head. Yeah, that's probably oh, true. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that just, that just put the damper on my night. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it, it, it that 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 is, um, and then of course the question comes up. Well, if I can't prove that things aren't going outside my head, you know, what is the most moral moral path to take? Okay, if there is that possibility that it's not all going on inside my head, if there is that possibility, what then do I do? Yeah. How then do I act? Yeah. Or, you know, is that is that maybe what happened with the Carpocratians? In theory, because obviously we don't know a lot of what the Carpocratians said said about themselves, but but what people said about them, that uh, you know, uh, all of this possibly only exists in my own head, so I have to experience everything and you know, and seeing as much as possible. To <laughs> well, that's convenient, isn't it? Well, a lot of it is convenient. Uh, <laughs> you know. I called that college. <laughs> yeah, I did not. I I had a boring college experience. I I regret that. But but yeah, maybe I I don't know exactly where I'm going with that, but I think that one thing that <laughs> one thing that confuses me these days is the conflating of spirituality and quantum physics. Have you heard this? I think this is a lot of the uh when I started reading, uh, you know, what was it, the holographic universe and some other things like that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, I forget some of the other books I read when I was first getting into Gnosticism. And, you know, the world is a hologram and quantum physics proves that there is no difference between one atom and another and all of this stuff exists in your own head. And I was really messed up for a while with all of that stuff. Um, and, but I do think that that was, I do think that was driven by a form of narcissism. That mm-hmm. you know, I I was I was doing it, and I was reading all those books, and I was trying to learn about the reality of the world, um, which at the time I couldn't I couldn't believe was the way that it was being presented to me. I think a lot of Gnostics have that that feeling early on that the world is being presented to me, but it's not quite right. Or, you know, it's, or it's very wrong in, in some cases, depending on how, how far you go. And then you say, well, then it's up to me to figure out what it's really like. And that's pretty, that's pretty narcissistic, I think. Yeah. But it's useful. 
it, <laughs> it, it, it is useful. The other thing that I, I got to think about, just to change, change tracks a little bit here, though, is uh, we've talked a bit on the show, particularly when uh, Bishop Mansfield was on the show, about the recovering the art of being a student. And I think that for some people, um, people who may be very intelligent and who may come to this with full of zeal and they're really intelligent and, and you would think that being intellectually inclined people, they might be all over the strange Greek terms and these inscrutable manuscripts, but they, they don't really get it. And I, I can't help but wonder that if, if part of that, part of the, the spiritual student who starts out auspiciously but falls to the wayside Maybe that there is when you are willing to admit that you don't know something, you have to give up some of your self-image as as a very intelligent person. And for some people, their 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 self-image is so fragile that admitting a lack of knowledge about something, publicly admitting that, admitting that they're not that they don't know everything, and then that they must be open to the insights of others, can be just incredibly shattering. Are just or just very uncomfortable, and they run screaming in the other direction. I've encountered this a lot in my secular job. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody has. That you know, you run into somebody who doesn't have an answer for something, but instead of asking for it, will just make one up. Oh, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and yep, and that happens so often. I got to imagine that it is just a part of the human condition. <laughs> kind of like what you're talking about that yeah you know you not knowing the answer is way worse than just making up the wrong answer you know and there's you're talking about your secular job here um when I, I started studying Gurdjieff's Fourth Way in 2008. Now, granted, there were some really horrible experiences that I had before then that had kind of driven me to my knees. I basically did a lot of horrible things and ended up in a really bad situation, which I eventually crawled out of. Um, but the interesting thing is I realize now that I don't think I could have ever gone into the Fourth Way work without having had my secular job. I had worked in regulatory compliance, which is an area where I had to research a lot of information and communicate uh, things about regula- regulations and laws without throughout my company. The thing is, is that I couldn't fake being right because if I did, people lose their jobs. Not just me, but a lot of other people would lose their jobs. So over five years, I had to learn that A, I don't know everything. B, I'm going to have to learn things that make no sense. And believe me, laws and regulations don't <laughs> oftentimes don't make sense. And, and C, I was going to have to be very direct with people when I didn't know something. And even if they were demanding an answer, because salespeople, they want an answer right away. I had to say, I had to sit there in a meeting, and if I had to say, I don't know 20 times, I had to say, I don't know 20 times. And I believed, you know, I, and this may sound narcissistic, but I do believe there was some divine providence in bringing me to this job that actually prepared me spiritually. I didn't even know that I was being prepared spiritually, but that's what it did. And then at the, at the point where I had, you know, A, lost my life basically, and B, had been prepared through this job. Uh, by being able to say I don't know, then I was able to receive something, and that would that you know to this day I, I I you know I marvel at it. Yeah, the uh, there's a well we've all been involved with organizations uh, you know esoteric orders or what have you or other religious traditions where self examination is is an important part of it. Um, I. You know, the Martinist tradition has a lot mm-hmm. of, of self-examination uh, in it. When I was first starting with esoteric work, um, my initiator uh, suggested that I read Franz Barden's uh, Initiation into Hermetics. Mm-hmm. Have you ever run across it? Yeah. Um, from what I could tell, it was a super good book. But the very first exercises were all like, make a list of everything you don't like about yourself. And, you know, and then make a list of everything you do like about yourself. And I, I got to tell you, I never made it past chapter one because that's damn hard work. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is hard work. And- but it's important work, right? I mean, and, and I think that, you know, I think that's where most occultists – 
stop really they want to get to the fancy rituals and the swords and the robes and, and the whole thing but they've still got all that crap floating around in their aura or whatever however whatever term you want to use well even worse about it is that that even as you do that kind of inventory, you can even fall further into self-deception. So I would say that, yeah, you have to begin with that, but you can never stop it. Because, okay, you decide, okay, well, I'm going to call myself on my faults before anybody else does. So you list all of these faults and see, you know, say, okay, great, you know, I'm being honest with myself. There's probably, though, 20 more that you're not even aware of. And, you know, you're saying, well, aren't I great for acknowledging all my faults here? And you have no idea that your behind is bare to everybody in the world except yourself. Mm. And um, it, it, it's, it's, I think it's a very important process, but it's something that can never stop, ever stop. Yeah. It's not just an introductory practice. It, it has to continue. One very early piece of wisdom that I received um, is, you know, when dealing with other people, you can you rarely can influence what other people are doing to you or around you or mm -hmm. at you or or what you know what have you. But you can you you can control how you react to it, mm -hmm. and I think that mm -hmm. just to that one little piece of wisdom um, led to a lot of other things for me where I could say, yeah, that person's being a jerk right now. There's nothing I can do about that, but I can ignore it. I can move past it. I can, you know, instead of mm -hmm. dwelling on it and getting angry and having road rage and the whole thing, um, you know, I can just not do that. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that's the leap that you have to make first in order for all this work to be meaningful. Um, because, you know, whether you're talking about esoteric work or spiritual development or, or any of that stuff, if you don't have that, you know, that amount of self-control, um, and it's only a little, that's not a whole, mm -hmm. that's not a huge deal. Um, mm -hmm. but it is a big leap when you, when you make that connection that, you know, I don't have to be angry because mm -hmm. somebody did something, you know, I can just not be angry. I think it's easier I think said than done. Well, yeah. yeah, I think I think it is a learned, I think it is it is a learned skill, mm -hmm. um, and you know it's it's something that yes, I mean first of all you're right. There isn't a whole lot we can do about how how other people think about us. We, we, there really isn't much we can do. Um, and it's the learning how okay how do I react to it? I think yes, we can learn not to shake our fists and give people the finger and and, and rage at them, but there's also okay what's going on internally. Um, are you, you know, when you talk about, you know, do I, do I have to get angry at them? Well, no, you don't. But when you are going to have that anger reaction, if you're used to having that anger reaction, are you, have you actually learned how to not experience that anger or have you learned to repress the anger? which then suddenly emerges at some late date, probably when you have an encounter, encounter with a family member because those are the patterns that are really ingrained. Yeah. So I think you make a really good point, but I think that learning to, learning to control the reactions is, as you point out, not, is, is easier said than done. Yeah, we're supposed to be able to control that, and many of us learn in polite society how to do that. But the internal but I don't stuff think that that's happens, the same, right? That's not the same right. thing. Not not expressing it is not the same. Yeah, and I I think that's the point you're making. Yeah, yeah, that, so, that is. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, don't don't get angry and lose your temper and throw things when you're at a party, but then go home and you know write an angry Invent about it, right? And, yeah. Um, and it runs I, I counter to our conditioning in so many ways. I mean, oh, sure. you know, from the time you were a child, you would hear people telling you things like, "You make me angry." You make yeah, yeah. me happy, you know, and you grow up with that. Mm -hmm. So we start to condition ourselves to, again, when we're having these emotions, it's easier to say something else has control. It's not my fault. You know, somebody made me angry. Something right. makes me happy. So it, 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 that's a whole lifetime of learning that at some point you have to learn to counter. It's difficult. Well, it's not just a lifetime of learning. It's just it's just the life it's just the practice you know it, it, it like we say you know it's 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 called practice because we never 
succeed at it. It's always just practice. You know, we always just try a little bit harder. And yeah, even though I know I don't have to get angry, I still get angry. You know, mm-hmm. there's still people who make me mad. Uh, I I compulsively feel the need to correct people on the internet, and I have to stop myself from doing that. You ever see that XKCD comic? Whereas there's a uh, there's a guy at a computer and uh, a woman pokes her head out from the doorway and says, "Honey, are you coming to bed?" And he says, "I can't. There are people who are wrong on the internet." <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that guy a lot. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't have to do that, and I have to keep reminding myself. I don't have to do that. You know, people can be wrong, and it doesn't have anything to do with me. And uh, yeah, it's that's the struggle. Yeah, it is. I think that's a big struggle within our own community because we do, you know, this other side of things where we do strive to be so helpful. Sometimes that is what's driving the things that we do, and we don't stop to sometimes think about how we're being helpful. So, you know, and again, people read into one another's intentions. So I, that's a great example because it flows in so many different directions. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about a, a narcissistic type of person that we encounter in our kinds of circles? Only if you promise not to name them. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> this is a hypothetical person who... Um, Ah, they always are. Yeah. I've, I've found that once you embark on the the road of the esoteric, you know, once you get initiated into an esoteric order, that several more orders follow very closely. Um, you know, I was, uh, I was a member of the friary for about 15 minutes before I became a Martinist, right? And it's, it's just kind of that once, once you're in those circles, uh, everybody's like, oh, you should do the cool thing I'm doing. And so... Something something that happens, um, I won't say with what frequency, uh, is that you get people who, who go chasing degrees. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think that – I don't think that people start out doing it with the intention of being narcissistic. I think that it's – it taps into the reward center of our brains mm-hmm. and very, very easily. And so you say, oh, I just got initiated and I'm so super special that I know this secret knowledge that other people don't know. Uh, you know, I'm going to go and do some more of that and I'm going to go and do some more of that. And then I'm going to get to flout my fancy robes and titles for all the other uh, strange religion geeks that I know. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and it's, it's super easy to fall into that trap. I can tell you from personal experience. I, I, I think we've all run into it. I mean, I remember one experience uh, – I was involved with uh, another organization at, at one time, and and uh, we had uh, like a convention going on, and uh, myself, uh, uh, two of my very close associates, and another brother had all went out to lunch, and uh, this one particular brother had uh, mentioned to two, uh, let's just say, junior members. He was kind of flaunting all of the various initiations and, <laughs> you know, and uh, charters and everything else he had and made this, you know, particular comment, you know, basically like, well, you'll never have all of the initiations that I have. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm sitting there shaking my head going, okay, did you really want to say that to two kind of junior members? I mean, what is this kind of saying about A, about yourself, and B, about, you know, the work, you know, that we're, that we're doing? And, um, but yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, uh, I'll be the first one to admit, I mean, I'm guilty of, of this. I can't say that I'm, have ever intentionally been, Chasing things like charters, but I mean, I, I can barely they just remember fall down all, on you, don't they? But yeah, yeah I mean, I, I can barely remember all the things that I've been initiated to, and uh, um, all of the various degrees thrown at me, and blah 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 blah. And you're you're absolutely right. You know, it's like you're a member of this. Well, now you got to become a member of this, and oh, you're a member of this. All then you get to get into this really secret part of this now, and yeah, Freemasons like that too. And now you're part of this, this, and this. Well, this is going to entitle you to this because this is where we got the keys. Yeah, yeah. The real secrets are the keys. Just, just one more degree further, you'll get the real secrets. <laughs> and then you'll find out that you're actually an Amway. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, you know, Father Tony, you make a great point. 
And I often tell people who are new to Gnosticism when they're first finding a group is it's not even that that group itself is necessary overwhel- necessarily overwhelming. It is that things suddenly start falling out of the sky, yeah, yeah. you know, into your lap. We really do create a smorgasbord because we all know one another. Yeah. So we all yeah. want, you know, so it seems like no sooner do you join a church when, oh, my goodness, I'm surrounded by Martinists and, you know, members of the friary. And, oh, you know, here are people part of this group. And these groups want you. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's not too hard to suddenly find you have a million uh, invitations. I, I think that also one thing to, to keep in mind, there is that tendency towards ego stroking. There's, the, as you point out, I think very rightly, Father, the issue of the reward center. When people get the badges or the certs or the, or the whatnot, there is that reward center in the brain that gets activated that we like. I think that it is important to keep in mind that very often, okay, yeah, your ego may be stroked by somebody giving you that invitation, but very often that invitation is being extended as a result of somebody else's ego. Mm-hmm. That, that person I need more people to worship me in my fancy robes. Order so. <laughs> or, yeah, whatever the case may be. So, you know, keep in mind, all right, you want to feel good about yourself, fine, but keep in mind that that invitation may not be entirely altruistic. And it may not necessarily be all about the fact that you are a special spiritual <laughs> snowflake. It, it may be because um, they want more women in the group. They may be because they want younger people in the group. It may be because you have a car and you need to schlep, they want you to schlep people around. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot that could be going on there. I'm not saying it's true in all cases, but I, I warn people about it. I gave a talk a couple of weeks ago about the Apocryphon of John and the, the, uh, the creation myth of the Apocryphon of John. And, um, and what, I, what I meant to say at the beginning but forgot to and then said at the end was that the the creation myth is not a myth of how the universe was created. It's not a story about how the universe was created. It's a story about the processes that are happening within our own selves right now. Mm-hmm. And that demiurge is creating and trapping the souls, uh, you know, the, the, the spirit of Sophia in matter and in soul uh, because he wants something that, you know, he can't have necessarily without having all of these little minions to, to worship him and follow him. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's not a story about the creator of the world. That's a story about our ego. And that's a story about something that we happen to do, you know, all the time without thinking about it because it makes us feel good. Yes. You know, it makes us feel good to, to put ourselves above our, our fellows and Yeah. And we do it with great ease. You know, one of the other mm-hmm. things that when we were talking earlier about, you know, comparing, say, Gnosticism to Buddhism and some of the Eastern religions is in many of the Eastern religions, you'll come to uh, teachers and others who don't like to have titles or the titles are kept to a minimum. But as soon as you get beyond that, and I can say this now as somebody who's been dabbling in esoteric Christianity for a long time, I'm, I mean no offense to anyone by it. But when I was a kid, you know, some of the terms that great leaders got always seemed so rare and so out of reach. Uh As soon as I became a Gnostic, I never met so many imperators, potentates, eminence, graces. (laughs) You know, all of a sudden I was surrounded. And in many ways it's inspiring. But at the same time, you also do have to remind yourself that this isn't why. You know, I get in it that these are there are special people out there who earn and deserve titles. But I often come back to that joke that I've never walked in such high company as since the day I became a Gnostic. <laughs> yeah, it's a, there's a lot of big fish in the small pond thing happening. Big Absolutely. fish hats too. Big fish hats, yeah. Dagon, Dagon, Babylonian fish hats. Inside joke, everybody. Hooray! Yeah. I, I wanted to bring one last thing up before we go. Um, so there's a, a story that comes from Buddhism. I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but you know the 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 teacher is uh, sitting there with the student, and he said the student says, uh, "I want enlightenment," and he says, and the teacher says, "Really, you want enlightenment? How much do you want it?" And he says, "Oh, I want it a lot. Yeah, yeah." So the teacher grabs the student's head and dips it in a bucket of water and holds it down. And uh, 
you know the 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 student sputters and and tries to get away and finally the teacher lets him up and says and the teacher says what do you want and he says i wanted air and he <laughs> says well when you want enlightenment like you want air then you'll get it right <clears throat> so and I, the the point is that you know these we don't necessarily want what we think we want um or when we want it we're wanting it for the wrong reasons and w- with the wrong intention i guess so that to to say i want gnosis okay well why do you want gnosis well so that i'm better than my my buddy who doesn't care about this stuff um it's it's a a, and like i said before it's it's kind of bad but it's also kind of useful um because it's it's a good thing to want gnosis um it's not necessarily an easy thing but it but it it's helpful um so my question then is say say this is all selfish and narcissistic and we're all sitting there you know just wanting to be our own special gnostic snowflake it, does a rising tide float all boats in this case i mean is it, does does me being a gnostic help joe smith down the street who doesn't want to be a gnostic doesn't care or is that a stupid question My answer would be, again, this is the Buddhist speaking, is yes. You know, if you're dedicating yourself to something that's truly worthwhile and is truly helping you grow, then you can't help but help others to grow, even through the non-doing of things. Maybe you're not actively out there in the soup kitchens or, you know, making loans on Kiva, whatever it may be. But again, you're also not out there flipping people off in traffic or, you know, doing other things like that. So, again, it doesn't matter how small, uh, you know, the deed seems to add to things. I think it does help. Mm. Uh, yeah, and if you go to uh, kiva.org slash team slash Joe Knights, <laughs> you, can, uh, you can join our <laughs> Kiva lending team and, uh, you know, and, and do some good in the world and be a Gnostic at the same time. You set me up for that one, Deacon. <laughs> After I said it, I knew I had. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're we're coming up on our time here. Anybody want to, uh, you know, any parting shots before we go? I just want to say to all those potentates, imperators, eminences, please don't hold that against me. I'll see y'all soon. You're going to be demoted to reading. All right, then. So thank you once again, Deacon, for joining us. And it's always a pleasure to have you. you Thank you. And for everybody listening along at home, we'll see you next week. Good night, everyone. Good night. This has been a production of the Gnostic Wisdom Network. For more information about this and all of GWN's programming, please visit GnosticWisdom.net. The opinions expressed in this show do not necessarily reflect the opinions of GWN, the Apostolic Joannite Church, or any other organization. This has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License and is brought to you by the generous support of our patrons. To support our programs and become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash gnostic. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash g-n-o-s-t-i-c.